Welcome to Business Talk, Sister Gok. I'm Becca, and today's podcast episode is How to Start a Mushroom Foraging Business. And this is actually a sequential podcast to the previous episode to this. So you want to hear more about how uh, Cliff got started in harvesting and gathering mushrooms and all of that, you should definitely check out the episode right before this. Cliff, thank you so much for being back with me. Yeah, I enjoyed the first one. Looking forward to this one. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. So as we're talking through right now, in the previous episode, we talked a little bit about the spring and summer mushrooms, and we only got to like three of of so many mushrooms. Right. So now we're getting into the late summer and fall. What are some things that people should be looking for or thinking about in that season? Well, you know, the, the, the late summer and fall, you know, it, it, it's funny. You, you just have less and less people on the landscape because that, that's when things kind of get tough. You got heavy mosquitoes and you got, you also got heavy wood ticks. And I, with that note, I just want to put that out as a cautionary tale is that Lyme's disease really is a big deal. And, and I, I spray my clothing mm-hmm. with, uh, with pheromone spray that lasts for two weeks at a shot. And I wear the same clothes over and over again. Um, because once you, you soak them down, you really want to avoid, I've, I've got two different friends who've got Lyme's disease and I want to avoid that. I haven't had it, don't want it. Um, but that combined with the, uh, with the massive amounts of mosquitoes on a normal year, um, you just, you don't see too many people. Um, and, uh, I just wanted to get that out there. What was your original question? It was to talk about the, um, late summer and fall mushrooms that people should be paying attention to. So as we get into, you know, late summer, the chanterelle mushroom is the, is a really a big one. That's mm. a big seller, very popular mushroom in, in broad strokes. It's a mycorrhizal mushroom, which again means that it has relationship with specific trees. In the case of a chanterelle, you're looking at uh, birch, ironwood, and oak are, are primary um, trees in this zone. As you go north of highway 210, then you're looking at at white pine and red pine, so it's, it's a different habitat up there. But those type of mushrooms, um, um, after the morel, they're the most popular mushroom in Minnesota. They'd be number two, mm. and they're very tasty. <laughs> they are. I mean, they you know, as many morels as I as I gather, um, I don't eat a lot because they they end up selling them all. Um, you know, I always eat the you know the big ones, the ugly ones, the ones that are on the edge of spoiling. I'll eat those. Um, but with chanterelles, the price point is half of what a morel costs. And in my opinion, um, I think they're better. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, pretty much every single one of them I've tasted is excellent in butter. So <laughs> yeah, you can't go wrong with, with butter. And, and, and that's, you know, it, I know we somewhere in here, we're talking about recipes and, and, you know, bottom, bottom lines, most people saute mushrooms um, with the chanterelle. There's a really good cream sauce recipe that I've got on a laminated card on the table that people take pictures of, which is really a good recipe. Um, mm-hmm. but the chanterelle has just got such a flavor to it. It's, it doesn't, it isn't your typical mushroom flavor. Whereas a morel has a deep earthy mushroom flavor. The chanterelle is more of a sweeter, uh, tangy flavor. Mm-hmm. And I would say that the recipes you have also really contribute to a lot of your customers, positive experience with mushrooms, because I definitely, that was the first 
mushroom I had tried from from you was the chanterelles with the recipe. My my sister actually took a picture of it and sent it to me. So um, I would say that that's a good marketing tip if you're going to be doing this type of business. And so tell me a little bit about um, what other mushrooms, what what should you be looking for in that season and how do you pay attention to what's happening within the weather? Well, um, I guess uh, the other mushrooms at that time of the, uh, you know, at that time of the summer, you got the chanterelles, you've always got the oyster mushrooms out there that I'm, I'm watching for, um, you know, and then you've also got a couple oddballs called a black trumpet. Um, you don't find a lot of those. Um, the price mm. point's quite high if you can find them. Um, but that one's a very interesting one, grows in similar habitat to chanterelles. And then there's a there's another one called a yellowfoot that 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 is a subspecies of a chanterelle, much smaller. It grows more up north. Mm. Um, and then a final one uh, before we get into fall is uh, it's called a hedgehog mushroom. That'll be late summer, early fall. Mm-hmm. What do hedgehog mushrooms grow around typically? Well, you know, I find them, you know, same spots every year. Um, and that's kind of the cool thing about mushroom, you know, the mushroom foraging is that when you find a spot. Um, it, it, it's there for a reason um, that, that mycelium's in the soil. So, you know, it'll be back year after year um, if the conditions are right. So as you progressively do it more and more and you get more spots, it becomes easier because you know where to go. Um, in the case of hedgehogs, it's, uh, it's mainly oak, um, ironwood, kind of same type of chanterelle type habitat. But they're late summer, so you know you won't see them at all, and then all of a sudden you'll get a rain event, and bang, they'll pop up, and and uh, they're mm-hmm. a real nutty flavored mushroom. Um, mm-hmm. They've got little appendages to hang down, almost look like teeth. It's the only mushroom in Minnesota that has that type of you know uh, yeah. appendage. Well, and the first time I saw them, honestly, they look like something out of a storybook because it looks like almost those like you're in a cave of like stalactites or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And or stalagmites. I don't know which one's the, the ones falling down. <laughs> that's what they kind of look like. And, and that's, you know, why it's on the, the 12 that you can, you know, sell is that there's nothing else that mimics that. You can't mess that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so now that we've kind of gone through those ones, um, I just wanted to make a note here. Uh, for efficiency sake, do you use kind of like Google map pins or anything like that to save your locations for next time? Well, I'm glad you asked that. I meant to get to that. You know, when I first started that, I thought that I would have to do that. And I'm not sure why I'm able to do this, uh, probably probably resulting from, you know, starting off in the woods hunting at a very young age, probably seven or eight. But I'm able to when I go back to a spot, I can get to within 50 feet of pretty much anything I find out there from a previous year. And I, you know, I can mentally sit and think of an area now and I can go patch by patch, almost tree by tree. And, and I, I don't know how to tell somebody how to train themselves to do that. It's more, I think, you know, from bow hunting, elk hunting, those kind of things where you really needed to find your stand location, your, your camp, you know, running off compass, however you're doing it. I think you fine tune you know, the, the ability in your brain to look around and make a mental map. So no, I don't, um, you know, I keep a a list of my spots, but I I don't, I don't GPS it. I don't, uh, you know, I don't need to do that, but Mm. I don't think that's real common. And I'm not sure how to tell somebody to, to train themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, for the rest of us that don't have those natural instincts, I think uh, I've, I've definitely used pins and saved them. 
but so I know I know that that works pretty well for me. But um, the other thing I was going to recommend for those of you who want to use GPS mapping is also make sure your phone is charged because <laughs> I have yeah. definitely gotten lost on a low battery and couldn't find the rest of the people I was foraging with. And I literally just had to sit down and, and wait there for a very long time till somebody came and found me. <laughs> well, yeah, you're lucky, you know, you have, yeah, somebody along, you know, I, I'm almost always alone and, and, uh, on that note, always carry a compass. Um, mm. For you know, you can always have failure. I mean, I do carry a GPS if I'm going, you know, way in some big country, so I can always find my truck. But um, the key on that too is you've got if you get in a heavy canopy where a lot of the area that you're in is heavy, the GPS you do signal don't doesn't always get out. So having mm. a handheld mm. compass is huge, especially on on uh, you know cloudy days. Um, you know, so with with that said, you know, there's kind of a list of things I bring along for safety, and, and one of them is a compass. The other other one is I've always got a basic first aid kit along. Mm. Um, you know, a little bit of duct tape goes a long way on a on a wound, and uh, you want to be prepared for that because you are. I mean, you're in, you're in brush and heavy stuff, and you know, I, I've gotten dinged up a, a few times uh, doing it, and so having a first aid kit and you know a phone is a pretty handy uh, item. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's a good, good tip on carrying those things. So tell me a little bit about the fall. What does that look like? Well, you know, we totally shift now in the fall again. And I, you know, it's, uh, that's what I kind of like about it is it's, you know, it's totally different. There's the fall mushrooms that I, I'm really after are mataki. That's a, that's a mushroom that grows uh, primarily at the base of oak trees and uh it's it's saphotrophic so that which means it is actually feeding off uh you know an oak root it taps into that root and they can get anywhere you know an average one is you know three to five pounds but i've gotten them up to uh, 18 pounds um, whoa are you yeah. serious huge huge wow wow and and uh and i in the classes i took he had a picture of one that uh, was 64 pounds that's the biggest one he'd ever gotten and oh it, my it goodness was, it was absolutely enormous and i i guess what i really like about them is they're 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 much more um you can almost depend on them if you got rain and you you know you know you know where they've been in the past they're probably going to be there again when the timing's right so again you get a lot better at this over time where you know when you start you're just randomly going out looking versus you know many years down the road if you've got you know 300 trees that have produced um it's like running a trap line when the time's right okay yeah so what uh, what other ones is is the fall okay. is would that be king belit or is is that well, a different the, the king the king belit is the porcini oh um, i didn't know they were the same never yep. mind okay yep so the porcini is like the italian name which out of interest that's the number one you know cooking mushroom in italian you know italian cuisine uh, but yet they grow right here in minnesota hmm. um, but that is yeah that is the king belit um is a porcini the same mushroom um the other ones you look for in the fall are lobster mushrooms which mm. those are mm -hmm. way cool um they're really bright orange. Um, again, you can't mistake them. Well, I shouldn't say you can. You know, if you've taken the, the training classes, you, you you won't mistake them. Um, but they're bright orange and and they're dense like cork almost. Mm -hmm. And uh, the really interesting thing, you know, and I know we're limited on time, but the interesting thing about a lobster mushroom, it starts out as a racella mushroom, which means as it's growing underground, it's a racella. And there's a certain bacteria in the soil that actually attacks that racella mushroom. And by the time it emerges, 
it's a lobster mushroom. And that's strange, but that's yeah, how it is. It's almost like a zombie mushroom. Yeah, it's really strange. And again, the key is once you find them in one spot, you know, mark that spot because they'll be back. That, that bacteria is there. As long as the rosellas mm -hmm. show up, you'll get lobsters. Um, so, and then down the list, there's a mushroom called a cloud mushroom. Um, gather them a lot. And that's getting, you know, late fall. Um, and then there's chaga. You know, I, I gather a lot of chaga in the fall as well. Oh, really? Okay. And tell me what you look for for the, the chaga. Well, chaga, um, you know, it, it, it's unique that it, you know, primarily only grows on birch. That's where I found it. And what you're looking at is the birch has had an injury at that site. So, you know, imagine another tree falling and shears off a branch mm -hmm. on that birch. Well, it creates an injury site and that's where the chaga will grow. And over a, you know, decade and a half, it'll eventually kill the tree. It creates heart rot, but it, it looks like a big black uh, chunk of charcoal, really. And it's, boy, it's rock hard. And, uh, you know, to get it, a lot of times I have tree climbing spikes to get it. Um, but that, that particular mushroom, you don't eat it. You, uh, actually turn it into a tea. So mm -hmm. there's quite a number of steps. It's, it's wet when you get it. And then, so you chop it up into chunks, dry it really good. And then you chop it into smaller chunks and you have to grind it into a powder to make it into, into the tea. Mm -hmm. And, and in my experience, so there's only a couple of places in the world that that mushroom grows a lot of Russia and then. I think it's like the climate has to be where it gets down to like 30 or 40 below Fahrenheit in order for it to grow on those trees. Um, yeah, that, that, that's what I understand. And I, I found it when I'm moose hunting up in Canada. I found it up there. Um, so it has to be a cold climate and it, it varies in size. I mean, I found it as, you know, as small as a pound, but I've also found spots that's you know, 25 pounds. So, and mm -hmm. that's a, that's really old. I mean, cause it grows year after year. It's like layers on a tree. It keeps growing out. Um, so if you see a big one, that could be a, you know, 15 year old mushroom. Yeah. Well, and, and a couple, I'm, I'm totally a nerd when it comes to, I want to know how it tastes. I want to know like all that kind of stuff. So uh, in my experience with, with Chaga specifically, um, I've always been told you should mix it with like um, maple syrup or something. Cause it already has like a woody smoky flavor to it. Yep. And then um, I didn't know this until more recently, but it has almost like a natural ibuprofen to it where it's like a muscle um pain relaxant or whatever to like help with uh achy joints and stuff so there's yeah. some really interesting medicinal qualities about different mushrooms well and i can attest to that i got a friend that uh, has really bad knees and and he, he drinks it for that purpose is that it, it does take away from his knee pain and you know he doesn't have to take ibuprofen as much um i've done the same i usually mix it with honey i, I like it with a little honey um you know, it's got that kind of that earthy flavor, but I have quite a few people that buy it that just drink it straight as well. And I, I think mm. the main claim, you know, it's got that it, painkiller effect, but it also has a high number of antioxidants and vitamins mm. in it. You always mm -hmm. take it in the fall when the tree is drawing in nutrition for the winter. So it's, it's quite high in those, in those things. Yeah, no, that's a really good tip because I think you can, I mean, it's on the tree for a super long time, but the best time to harvest would be fall. Interesting. Well, yeah, in the fall. Yeah. And, and yeah, because that's when the tree is drawing in the nutrition. And so I take it in the fall. And the cool thing is I, I went back to some of my spots that I, uh, 
uh, harvested, say, seven years ago, and uh, it grows back. Um, it, it did not kill it. Um, the uh, chaga that I'd harvested, there was enough on it to harvest it again. So when you chop it off the tree, it uh, it doesn't kill the mushroom. Yeah. And in, in my experience, I've usually brought like a little hatchet with because otherwise I can't pull it off the tree. <laughs> no, it's yeah, it's that's where you got to be careful again is, uh, you know, you're up on tree spikes, you know, sometimes 20 feet up on a on tree climber swinging a hatchet. Um, yeah, there's a lot of bad things that can, can happen. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, um, but you know, it, it, it is, uh, I usually get it when I'm grouse hunting. I think I've missed a lot of grouse looking for it because you're looking up <laughs> the trees and you should be watching your right. dog. But yeah. It's a, it, it's a fun mushroom. Yeah. So are there any websites or books or resource communities that you use, uh, and would recommend people check out as they're trying to get into foraging? Well, you know, I learn mainly through, uh, you know, the classes I took and then, you know, my own looking things up on, on the website. And there's so many mushroom websites you can look at, but I do have two books that I, that I do uh, use. And let, let me just walk over and grab them. I'll, I'll read you the titles. Okay, perfect. All right. The, uh, the first one that I, that I started with that, that, you know, it gave me a, a start on six edible mushrooms, you know, in the Midwest, it's called start mushrooming. Um, and it's by Stan, uh, the last name is T-E-K-I-E-L-A, by Stan Tekula and Karen Shanberg, uh, S-H-A-N-B-E-R-G. Those cover six of the basic ones in the Midwest that are on the, on the list that are safe. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a real good start. And then uh, I guess the other one I've got is the, the National Audubon Society Field Guide to Mushrooms. And uh, that one's much more in depth. It has hundreds of different types. Um, but for somebody who's just looking at dabbling into it, that the, the short one with the first six, yeah, that'll get you going. Okay. No, yeah, that's super helpful. Um, so if you were to start over again, what would be the biggest thing you would want to learn first to make your experience more successful in finding mushrooms? Well, I think the number one thing is I wish I would have taken the, the training courses earlier than, than I did. It would have uh, taken a lot of the struggle out of it. You know, however, I'm, I'm doing it at, you know, a much higher level, you know, for poundage. The average person is just going out and just having an you know, enjoyable afternoon doesn't really need that. But I think probably the key was that I, I met a couple of people in those classes that, you know, really helped me. The hard part is when you when you think you got it down and you find what you think you got like take the case of a chanterelle do you you know do you really want to eat that mushroom before somebody who really does know what they're doing identifies it and the answer is no so mm -hmm. you know there's an old saying if in doubt throw it out and and i run by that i <laughs> any doubt i don't i don't take it and so that was probably key is meeting somebody that can verify what you have mm -hmm. and so the training courses would have been handy earlier Mm, yeah. So tell me again in this episode, how can people find you? Uh, they can, uh, you know, call or text. That's uh, Cliff's Mushrooms, 320-424-2419. Uh, and, uh, you know, I get back to people immediately uh, within the day. So, you know, a lot of times I'll be out in the woods, but then I'll, I'll have a series of messages and I, I'll get right back to folks. And I'm almost always have something uh, fresh on hand once it gets warm. 
Mm, I'm excited for that for sure. Now we're going to transition to the gawk portion of this episode. (laughs) And you're going to tell me a little bit about a mushroom safety experience you you had. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, I have a friend, he'll remain nameless, um, that, uh, you know, when I was just kind of getting (laughs) into this, going through training classes, he was up grouse hunting and uh, he uh, got what he was sure was a chicken of the woods mushroom. And uh, he he was with his girlfriend. And uh, the the sad part about it is a chicken of the woods mushroom is a polypore. And what that means is it's got tiny little holes under it. Um, You know, it doesn't have gills. And what he picked was called a jack-o'-lantern mushroom. And it has gills. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. And it grows grows on wood like a chicken of the woods. But if you know the basics, I mean, since it has gills, it's not a chicken of the woods. Well, Long story short, they shot a couple grouse, and it's only funny now. Um, he went back, and his <laughs> girlfriend made the grouse and the mushrooms all in a pan, and and she took two bites and went, eh, it doesn't taste that great. And he was really hungry, so he wolfed down a whole plate of grouse and these mushrooms. And uh, it didn't take long. Uh, within a half an hour, uh, he, he was puking uh, both ends mm. and that went on for three days for him. And he got so sick that his nail beds turned black. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Really bad. And uh, to this day, his girlfriend uh, will not even eat a mushroom from me. She, uh, <laughs> she, mm. she uh, took the lesson uh, to heart and just doesn't do it. Um, but he, you know, in looking at that scenario, that's why, you definitely want to, when you're new into it, you know, verify that with somebody who really knows what they're mm-hmm. doing. And, uh, you know, I've got, I've got another cautionary tale that's worse than that one. Uh, I don't know how much time we have. Yeah, go for it. I want to hear it. Okay, another cautionary tale. Here's what people, <laughs> here's what people can get themselves in trouble. Um, when you change regions, if I, you know, if I say I went to another state or another country, that mushroom ability you have in Minnesota does not necessarily transfer. And mm-hmm. here's the following, you know, here's the following story. There was a group among people that, that moved to this country. This is a number of years ago. And in their home country, they uh, harvested a white looking mushroom that they knew what they were doing there. Well, they got here and there's a mushroom called the uh, angel of death, death cat. Oh no. It's white. And, uh, you know, in its young stage, it looked very similar to their mushroom in the, in the Hmong country. And uh, I forget the exact numbers, but I think five, uh, five of the Hmong people ate them and uh, two died. Um, mm. The other ones came real close. Um, so that's a cautionary tale where, you know, regionally, uh, mushrooms can vary. And so when you get outside of your, you know, your zone where you know what you're doing, um, I, I would never gather mushrooms in another country um, mm-hmm. for that reason, you know. Yeah, that's actually, I had that as a note because when, when I went to Finland, I was at a farmer's market and they had these mushrooms that looked almost exactly like false morels. And I was stunned that they would even have that in the market. And so I tried to, and uh, there was a language barrier. <laughs> so I was <laughs> trying to ask, how do you make these? And uh, my, and honestly, full disclosure here, I am not the mushroom guru in my family. It's my husband. And so, but he was like, no, we're not, we're not going to harvest those and do that at home. That's a bad plan. <laughs> well, so, that, that, that's good yeah. advice. Yeah, you want to be real careful. And and I've had a lot of people that, you know, over time I've helped. 
um, you know, identify things and that. And quite often what people find is they go out thinking they're going to, you know, do this and, and between the bugs and the heat and, you know, just not finding what they're looking for, it's easier to buy them from me. So I, I get, I get a lot of those uh, type of folks coming back. And so I'm happy to help people, um, mm -hmm. you know, because that was key for me. I mean, just having somebody to tell you, do you have, uh, you know, what you think it is, or is that a, a jack-o'-lantern? That, that's huge. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that's a good business tip overall is just, you know, people say, oh, I can go do that for cheaper. But the reality <laughs> is, what is their time worth? And is it really like the risk that they want to take personally? Right. Well, and that's the truth. Boy, I've had people say, you know, 50 bucks a pound for morels. I mean, that's outrageous. I've heard that. And I, you know, explained to them then, okay you know, go find them. I can even tell you the types of habitat to look for. You, you go spend a week and, and see what you find. Um, and you know, you'll probably be back. And, you know, a lot of those folks have, and, uh, it's, it is fun if you're just doing it for a, a good time, but to, uh, yeah, to, re to really, uh, to really go on the landscape and find a large number of them, uh, there's, there's quite a bit of work to it. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for joining me today. I have, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Well, I have two, and it kind of gets me through this long winter. I'm uh, I'm ready to roll. I, you know, it's been a, a month. I've been waiting for spring to break. So, it's, mm -hmm. uh, um, yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. And if you have enjoyed this episode, you should give it a review on Spotify, and I will see you next time. Thank you very much.